listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. And welcome back. We are here with the Rogo Mob Podcast. It has been a few weeks since my Mississippi State Bulldogs have won the national championship. It's not a big deal. It still happened. It's still feeling a little bit weird, but I've got some gear. It's starting to feel a little bit more real a few weeks later, but we're back. Road to Omaha podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Road to Omaha pod, and you can hit that subscribe button or the follow button or the like button. However, your podcast platform works. Please hit that button. We have a very special guest with us today. The man, the myth, the legend, Ethos Tosser on Twitter. Anthony he Boyer. <laughs> he is hello, hello. He is the smart version of what me and Des want to be. He actually has knowledge on He's all amateur baseball. He actually knows the recruiting classes. Me and Des, we're just willy-nilly. We're we're saying stuff about college baseball. We watch it all. We're not the most knowledgeable people, but we like the sport. Ephus Tosser here. He knows it all. He's a genius. Ephus Tosser, welcome to the Road to Omaha podcast. Wow. Now that's, I have a big, I have, I know I have to live up to that intro. That's a big intro to live up to. I think, works. I think the best, the best part was when we were prepping this episode and you were and you were like, who's your favorite team? I was like, I don't really pay attention to who wins the games. I don't really know. Like, I just kind of <laughs> like the players. I think that really sums up the difference between, between our approaches. Yeah. Big outcomes. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what we are uh, on the wins and losses. Yeah. Uh, as you can tell, my co-host is uh, still dwelling on his Mickey Mouse championship, but you know, is still counts. Still counts. Um, because NC State was NC State is the proper proper champion, champion. and then hey. Texas said, "Hey, we're standing united, and we're going to forfeit our game against Mississippi State to stand united with NC State and the injustice that happened." All, all I have to say is, 2017 and 2021 still count. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the best time of the year, right? Lives are changing. Teams are changing. Um, life changing money for uh, a lot of college kids. Obviously the NIL, you know, just dropped as well. So they're going to start getting paid and rightfully so. So the draft, everything that happened, um, you just want to dive right into it guys or what? Yeah, let's do it. For sure. Uh, so number one kind of shocked me when I first heard it like a month and a half ago. But I get it, but I don't also get it. Et, what are you thinking, Mr. Number Davis? One overall? Number one overall? Yeah, one overall. I think. All right, so I'm gonna say he's a great. He's a he's a good player. Right? Is he Buster Posey? He's not Buster Posey. He's not Joe Mauer. He's not. I I think this is clearly you know the scuttlebutt leading up to to the draft was the Pirates were talking to Marcel Marcelo Meyer. And if they couldn't come up with a deal, they were going to talk to, to Davis, to Henry Davis, the catcher out of Louisville. Henry Davis is a good player. He's a good catcher. He's a good hitter. Is he a number one overall talent? Not in my opinion. Um, I think that this was a draft that benefited from having uh, a number of guys who could be, who could have gone number one. Um, and it came down to a financial decision. Let's be honest about it. I think Henry Davis is going to be a fine player. He's not Adley Rutschman. He's not Buster Posey. I don't think he's that level of talent. I think that this is a nice signing. If I had gotten him eighth overall, I'd be very happy. For a first overall pick, I find it a little underwhelming. Don't tell Dalton of Apollo Media. Do not 
do not show this to Dalton, He's our, a, our Louisville, Louisville homer. A Louisville I think, guy. I think we, me, me and Stoney were kind of guilty of um, early on saying that, you know, the ACC and, and Louisville especially are, are, we threw the F word around, they're fraudulent a bit because you, mm. you had weeks where they'd show up and weeks they didn't show up and, and weekends they definitely didn't show up. And it was just an up and down Eklund Jide situation throughout the year. But when I look at, when I look at Davis and I, and I think you nailed it if you would have got him at eight, I would have been extremely happy because there's value there. And obviously Pittsburgh is in a spot where they may be drafting, you know, that top three for, for a while, which is fine. You just got to hit on those guys. So um, it, it did pique my interest a bit when I heard that, you know, I mean, they, they kind of said it a month and a half ago, like, Hey, this may be our guy. And when you have lighter and rocker and all these short stops in that are in the prep in high school, it is, it felt a little weird to me, but they went with their guy and I think they have a game plan. So you can't fault for an organization for doing that because we've seen that as uh, as the Astros, you know, you commit to a blueprint, stick with the blueprint and, and it works over time. So um, it was just interesting. It was a very interesting pick in, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, certainly I think that down the road, there's a chance that this looks like a good first overall pick. I don't think there's any chance this looks like a great first overall pick. Um, and maybe that's okay. Like that can be fine. You know, if it's, if, if everything else hits as you, as you sort of suggested, that's fine. Like you can have some, some, you know, some really big hitters followed up by some people who are maybe not quite as strong, but I think it, when you're, when you're picking first overall, um, especially then to see lighter go second to the Rangers, um, I think that this has the, a great potential to, to look like a very uh, a misguided choice. Let's put it that way. We were talking offline about the 2012 draft where Carlos Correa went first and Byron Buxton went after him. If Henry Davis is, gives the same kind of production that Byron Buxton can give, it's not a bad pick. It's not a great pick. I agree with especially that. Especially if Jack Leiter ends up being like his dad and becomes a Hall of Famer and all that kind of stuff. That looks kind of bad on you. But maybe the organizations are different. Maybe they develop different players better. Maybe Henry Davis was the right choice for the Pirates. But we won't know for years. But I don't think it was a terrible right. pick. But the first Almost pick. two million? Probably over $2 million, right? 6.5. 6. And I think the value is 8.4. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, you have $2 million. I mean, Depends how you spend that that two million dollars throughout the draft. So, um, is this a unique situation? We talked offline about the days of slot and the signing bonus and and, and all that. How teams are? I think we finally saw on social media, and I, I don't think a lot of um, the Colin fan knew that this was going on. Where you know teams were signing a signing a guy that would probably be undrafted in the you know seventh eighth round for a thousand dollars signing bonus, and it was a six figure uh, slotted pick, and then use that money throughout the draft to get other guys to to woo them to come into the organization yeah and, and so, we've seen go ahead we've seen the, we've seen the pirates kind of do that already right they gave three million to bubba chandler who they got in the third round that was an eight hundred seventy thousand dollar slot um they went a little above uh slot for solometto in the second round they got 2.8 instead of two so we are starting to see the plan um again it's going to come down to production at the end of the day is, is Davis going to produce enough to where it doesn't look sort of bad in retrospect? I think that's really the ultimately the question. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, in the top five, you had – obviously, we talked on it. You had Jack Leiter going two. Um, he was – the entire year, I had him slotted at one, uh, one, one for, in, in my 
you know, my big board. And, and I just think he's, he's a specimen. He's got the pedigree, obviously with his pops, he's a little smaller, but he's a bulldog on the mound. And I think the Rangers got a good arm. <laughs> I hate that it's a yeah. Rangers pick. Yeah. We're going to uh, potentially, you know, face them uh, quite a bit, you know, thinking he'd pan out as the number two overall pick. So uh, when you heard of Jack Ladder, obviously, and you've, you're on the perfect game circuit. I've seen your tweets right now. You're already looking at next year's class and everything like that. What was, when did Jack Ladder come on your radar? Because when you listen to ESPN and, and you listen to the college world series broadcast, they talked about how he was kind of a late bloomer. He had the name, obviously you knew who his dad was, but then he kind of just kind of, it kind of clicked and it found, it found out, you know, this kid, this kid could be a stud. And then obviously went to Vandy and did Vandy, Vandy type things and, and won a lot of ball games over there. So what, when did he come on your radar? Yeah, I think, you know, his senior year, he was also a cold weather guy. I think people forget that too. He, you know, he came out of high school in New Jersey. Um, his senior year 2019 was really kind of the big, you know, he got drafted in the 20th round uh, by the Yankees. And I think that was kind of, uh, it looked like a, a nepotism pick, right? Because uh, his dad had played for for the Yankees. And I think that people were kind of like, okay, well, who's this kid? And we kind of looked into him. But I don't think anyone saw really uh, what he was going to become. Um, he was sort of an undersized kid. He didn't really have the, the repertoire quite yet. And he was on a road to, he was in a, on a staff with, with Kamar Rocker, who was an absolute stud, who's the prototype. Um, and I think really... I think one thing that does tend to happen quite a bit in the prospect ranks or the prospect sort of uh, circle is that uh, people will sort of latch on to, to a kid so that they're not in on the kid that's really popular. So uh, it's almost like everyone's a hipster in the uh, prospect ranks. We're just like, well, if Kamara Rock is really popular, I'm going to take this number two guy. I'm going to take the Saturday starter. And so I think that that was really uh, that kind of helped. But then, but then lighter really came on strong. I mean, really, um, you know, 2020 is really hard to sort of, was really sort of hard to judge anyone by, but when they were pitching side by side, I mean, lighter really just looked, uh, maybe not night and day better than rocker, but certainly he held his own in that 2020 season. Uh, he looked very good, but you know, we're talking about like 16 innings. And so really coming into this year is when he had to like make those moves and really cement himself as a top of the top of the draft pick. And, and he really met every challenge along the way. So I, I, like, I first heard of him again, like 2019 when he got drafted, um, I think is when he really hit my radar to begin with, but, but every sort of step along the way, cause he's also a draft eligible sophomore. So like that was helpful age relative to class is always helpful. Those are things that I look at and I really get, get behind. So um, he was always interesting, but I, I didn't see him as a top, top of the draft talent until really coming into 2021. Is Jack Leiter someone we see in the majors this year? I don't know about this year. Um, I think he'll move pretty quickly. I think you're going to want to develop him as a starter. Um, I think you're going to want to give him that workload. You're going to want to uh, you're going to want to to push him. And he has not had a ton of innings. He didn't pitch at the Cape. He didn't really do any wood bat leagues, anything like that. So I, I think. Personally, I think you you kind of hold until next year is your big plan to get him into the majors, just to get those inning counts up, to get his arm extended, to kind of get him ready for that workload. Um, because I would not I would not want to pitch him out of the bullpen on a non-competitive team. I don't think that there's there's really any benefit to that. That said, it's the Rangers. Right. So who knows? 
Yeah, I, I just didn't know if it was going to be another Garrett Crochet kind of situation where we see him come in from September call-ups for the, the postseason push. Yeah. But obviously the Rangers aren't going to make the postseason, so it doesn't really matter. I was just curious because I figured he's a freak, man. And, you know, I mean. Uh, yeah, so I, I just figured that out of everyone that was drafted, Jack uh, Leiter was the, the guy that had the stuff in order to come up soon. He was going to be able to make it there, but I just didn't know. Is there any guys, Ant, that you have in the first, you know, few rounds that are capable of being fast track? Um, I think, you know, I never really think about that. I think, I think crochet was such a freak of nature. Um, he actually pitched more innings last year for, for the White Sox than he pitched for Tennessee, which is pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that he was a guy who benefited from, from, you know, having a short season too. So it doesn't really line up that way this year. I think, you know, if down the stretch, the Mets are in the race. I mean, maybe they push Rocker to kind of do that because he does have the durable body. He can sort of to absorb some innings. I think he's the kind of a guy who has the build and 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 the pedigree. Um, obviously, there's some questions on him, but I think that would be the only guy I could really see maybe sort of moving that quickly. I think you got a, a couple of those guys like like Hoagland and and um, you know Madden and guys like that that are really just solid Friday night starters that that maybe could challenge but personally speaking i think that especially madden i think they're just gonna be on more traditional development paths i think we're, it's gonna be a couple of years before we see those guys yeah and madden fell and obviously we'll, we'll we'll keep talking about all the college kids that drafted in the first round but to see madden fall the way aaron Rodgers fell i mean i just felt so bad for the kid because yeah he was at a watch party with with colton Cowser, who went fifth overall you know they went to the same yeah. high school here in the cypher area and uh, that's got to be a lonely feeling when you're, you know, projecting that 10 to 15 range. And I think, I think everyone following the draft and, and leading up to the draft, that 10 to 15 range was kind of a wild card. You didn't know what the teams were going to do there. And you, you kind of penciled guys in, you really didn't know. And then you had Ty, who was obviously I'm a Texas fan the Friday night guy, the, the, the Rockford, Texas to get to back to Omaha. And to see him fall like that, and I and I was talking to our guy Midzi, and he was just like, you know, that fastball, the fastball analytics aren't great for him. Yeah. Um, and we talked offline about that with the Pell. We could talk about it in the second segment because uh, that was really interesting. But uh, it was it was crazy to think that a guy that was such a rock and with the electric fastball and stuff like that, and he still didn't light up the models and the charts of of all these organizations, and that that fall to was it like 32, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was just uh, an interesting development because the age we're in is like, Hey, if you're not lighting up on the models, it's, it's going to be really tough to, uh, to tell a GM like, Hey, this is our guy, because as a scout, you're kind of putting your neck out there when the models are saying something completely different. Absolutely. Um, um, and ahead. I think you look at too, you know, it's, it's interesting because, even the Tigers who did obviously end up taking him and who have obviously had a really good success rate with, you know, four-year college pitchers, um, you know, even they went high school pitcher in the first round. I think that that was, that a lot, happened a lot this year where there was just, there was a lot of prep talent um, that really sort of pushed their way into the first round. Um, and, and just, I think Madden, because the fastball did have some question marks, there were just some, just enough dings where I think just a lot of people just had one or two guys just slightly ahead of him is kind of what I've heard. 
Um, so if you have like, I mean, I think the big surprise is like Bednar, who kind of was predicted to go in that 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 round, you know, maybe 32, 33. And and he sort of jumps up the 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 table and great pitcher, um, world champion, you might even call him. But uh, I, I would say so, yes. Asterisk Mickey Mouse champion. champion. Does I'm wearing a Texas hat. <laughs> but I, I, you're doing it despite me. For everyone listening, he's he's wearing a Texas hat. I'm doing me. it because also breaking news as of today, Texas and Oklahoma are probably heading to the SEC. So that's a big deal. We'll yeah, talk that about is... that later in the summer. But yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, so yeah, so I think you know just stuff like that. We're just you know a handful of guys like a Gavin Williams. Like it's interesting to see some of those names go ahead of him. But again, I can almost guarantee on their boards they were like neck and neck, and just there was a a, a, a scout who had a gut feeling, you know, like a for like a Ryan Cusick, like all those guys that are just like right in that mix, right in that conversation. But it was very surprising to me too to see Madden fall. I mean, it's not like he fell out of the you know, it's not like yeah. he fell to the fourth round, but um, but to see him fall as far as he did was was pretty surprising. It it, it was it was surprising, but it's also really cool to see. You know, Colin Kowser's from Sam Houston State, right up the road, go fifth overall. And then you had Sam Bachman from Miami University go nine, you know, before Rocker. Like, to see to see those talents go in the top ten and, and have those athletes represent those schools for – I mean, they'll be talked about for the next 30 years for recruits. Like, yeah. they'll be like, yeah, we got a top five guy, you know. Like we can develop, you know. There will be four coaches down the road, but <laughs> – uh, Sam Houston will always have, you know, uh, hang their hat on that. Um, what was, what was your board like? Did you have these two cats up there? And obviously the, the, the biggest thing was the the prep shortstops. That was, um, yeah. the, the talk of the game. Where were they going to go? You know, you know, I think there's what, all, all three of them that were kind of neck and neck. Yeah. Meyer, um, Lawler and, uh, and house, yeah, house kind yeah. of the, the big names. Um, for me, you know, it's funny because in a, in a traditional year, I'm actually big on college bats. I really love college bats. There just weren't any this year. Freilich sort of took uh, advantage of, of a big gap uh, in, the, in the college hitting ranks that Judd Fabian was supposed to be the guy this year, really was not the guy this year. Um, and so there was a big sort of hole there. And so, I, yeah, so my guy, my guy coming into the, into the draft was really Harry Ford, uh, prep catcher out of Georgia, who went 12th overall to the Mariners. Um, if he can hit with the right development team and the Mariners have shown an ability to develop talent, I think that could be a really special pick. He was at the top of my board coming in. I liked the prep shortstops. I liked Marcelo Meyer a lot. I think I thought he was a first overall talent. I was a little uh, farther down on Brady House, but Jordan Lawler was in my was in the mix for me. Um, and then Lighter and Rocker both were pretty were pretty high up for me. I didn't love a lot of the guys that ended up winning going pretty highly. Um, like I was not, I'll have to still be sold on Mozzicato, for instance. I'll still have to be sold on. I like Bachman. I don't know if I see him as his top 10 talent. We'll see down the road. It was an interesting year for, for those of us from Ohio. Uh, Cause there were three Ohio pitchers who were like in the mix for like between Bachman and Joe rock. And uh and the kid out of Kent State, whose name is escaping me, which is absurd, Luke Albright. Um, but those, like, to have three guys that were in the conversation for the top ten rounds out of Ohio colleges was very exciting. Um, but that's a, to get back to Sam Bachman, like, I didn't really see him as, like, top ten talents. 
I think it's going to be really interesting. I think that this is the kind of a draft where you might see some guys farther down sort of outperform over the years, some of the guys toward the top of the list. But uh, I, I think that there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of ability for a lot of these guys to move around. Yeah, for sure. And then you obviously you touched on, you know, Stoney's guy, Ben Nard coming up, almost moving up a, a whole half round, essentially, from where the, the models have him going. Um, he should probably send, you know, a few hundred thousand to Texas because uh, he, you know, got to, got to show the videos of him striking out 50 of them this year. So, uh, Des, you, you can't help that he has major league pedigree. His dad, his brother, him, he's got the clutch gene. He earned himself. He, he earned himself an extra five hundred thousand dollars easy, by just his performance in Omaha. That those three games that he pitched, he, he earned five hundred k, and it's crazy to think that there's never been a first rounder from Mississippi State named Will that went to the Giants and didn't pan out. It's the craziest thing. We got Will Clark. We got Will Bednar. What's what's the worst that could happen? I'm a de facto Giants fan because Will Bednar basically brought the first national championship to my school so will bednar pick pick of the draft easy it's the easy it's the one of the like five picks of the draft the other four may or may not be mississippi state players as well but neither here nor there tbd i mean what what can you say to that I, this is not a home a man has a code look a man has a code i get it i really do <laughs> um it was just interesting to see the development i mean i did not think that rocker Rocker at 10, and what did you think? I, I thought it was extreme value for the Mets. I thought I couldn't agree steal. more. I, I, I really think – I know people got down on Rocker. I get the questions. I think he's a special talent. I think that he's a top-five talent. I think the Mets really hit a home run with that pick. I think if I'm the Angels – if I'm an Angels fan, I'm very confused with taking Bachman over Rocker. I don't understand it. Um, I, I think – for, for him to be the was third uh, college pitcher off the board, fourth, because yeah. Kowser fourth is crazy to me. Um, you know, I, I, but, you know, they all have their models. They all know what they're looking for. The Angels obviously had a very strange draft top to bottom where they, <laughs> they, they, they had 20 picks and they took, they took college pitchers with 19 of them and a prep pitcher with the other one. So, and you would um, think Rocker would have been if my if my game plan was going to take in 20 pitchers, Rocker would have been the one that I would have taken. That's what I'm saying. I would have, I would have tried to hit home runs with the guys in the top in the top end because you're you're building lots of depth behind them, but um I I was pretty surprised. I think that 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 is one of the picks that I sort of have circled to be maybe the steal of the draft. There are two or three that I think just even in the first steal of the first round, I should say. I think I think he's one of them. I think uh, Harry Ford is one of them, and I really like Maddox Bruns, who went to the Dodgers at twenty nine. Yeah, yeah, I think I think Rocker could have gone to a better place. He gets to go to camp, and you know he gets to pick Jacob Degrom's brain every single day. Yeah, and I I, I see Rocker being that little gnat mosquito in in Degrom's ear and just learning and soaking it all in. Who who else would you rather want to learn from? And so yeah, it that draft day might have sucked falling all the way to 10, but you could have landed at a better place for him. And I'm really excited to see, I think, I think you're hundred percent right that he's in the, when we look back as, as the stealing, but like, how do we, how did anyone let him fall all the way to 10? Yeah, I think that's a, and, and I think, you know, you get a star name in a star city. Um, I think there's real potential there for, for, for a big career to happen. And you're right. I mean, they've clearly shown an ability to develop 
pitching. Uh, they do have the, the best pitcher on earth playing for them. Um, it's, it's a pretty good situation for him if he takes advantage of it, which I think he will. Will Bednar's not on the, on the Mets, is he? <laughs> Look, my guy, my guy in the first round is Gavin Williams. I, I yeah. love, I love him out of East Carolina. I love that entire team and program. They're just dogs. Uh, when I saw Gavin pitch, I saw him th- three, three times during the season. And then obviously in the playoffs and he was just a dog and you can't teach that stuff. Obviously he has the electric, yeah. electric fastball and, and everything else. But when you have a guy with that kind of grit and that kind of just dog mentality, um, you can't teach those intangibles. And uh, I was, I was pumped to see his name come off the board yeah. just as a fan, but I was like, man, I wish he fell to the Astros. I just wanted some miracle that he just would free fall all the way to the Astros. Yeah. That was uh, me and Joe rock. I was hoping against hope that that kid would end up with the Astros, but 87 was just a, yeah. I think he went like 83 or something to it. Guy, he got pretty close. I was, I was really hanging on, but alas, it was, uh, my way. yeah, he was, he was my guy. Um, I think that Jordan Wicks fella, the K state, Dude, do those cheats from the left side. I, I obviously got to see him in the Big 12. 21 overall, it's tough to sell, yeah. but I mean, he has the stuff. I just, I, I think it was a little overreach, but I understand the pick, if that makes any sense to anyone listening. Yeah, he kind of landed where I, I mean, I think a lot of people sort of thought he'd fall in that 15 to 20 range. So I don't think it was too far off. Um, Obviously, the Cubs liked what they saw. They're right in his backyard, so they, they probably got a lot of looks at him. Um, I think I was I was a little surprised by that. Heck of a pitcher, though. It's it's hard to argue with, and I think a lot of those a lot of those four year the, the juniors out of the four year colleges, you know, it's like it's gonna it's really gonna boil down to what is their pitching philosophy in that organization. You know, a lot of people. Uh, like the Mariners love, love players who get down the mound and like really get, get, uh, you know, use their bodies, use their lower halves. And, and, you know, uh, the Indians really like guys who locate the fastball and can pitch all the fastball. So I think, you know, if you start to get into like really like developmental things and like, it, then it does kind of get into like, what's your spin rate? Like, what does this look like? Do we think we can add a second pitch or a third pitch, fourth pitch? Um, because a lot of times, you know, the, the things that will get you by, even in, in, in a premium conference, are not necessarily the things that are going to get you by as a professional big leaguer. We were talking earlier about, again, Mark Appel and, and how that breaking ball was never really like a pro breaking ball. He just didn't really have the shape, didn't have that hard break. He just didn't have really the spin numbers. And I don't think he would have gotten drafted, certainly not that highly, you know, these days. But it's I think that sometimes it really does boil down to that. So it can be it can be a little hard to know what those conversations look like behind closed doors. Um, but yeah, I was pretty surprised by, by, by Wicks, but not super surprised. I mean, it made sense and it, and it fit for me and they also got him exactly at slots. So who knows right. what conversations they had leading up to it too. I think, I think everyone listening and, and we'll go back to the draft, but Anthony, can you bring some insight into just kind of the process? Because when I, when, when I say it's draft process, it's a, it's a process all the way through. They look at every single thing you ever, you've ever done the stats they accumulate, especially now. I mean, I, I played freaking a half decade ago and it, it it's just changed tremendously from just a then. Lot. Yeah. And so when you're, you're filling out a big board, you have all these scouts, you have all these area scouts, you have all these cross checkers, you have all these different dudes and you have all this data. Is this the decision made for a lot of these guys 
going into the second half of the season before the season even really kicks off? Um, or is it into the end of the playoffs and the supers? Like, can you bring some insight to the listener just so they kind of know and understand the process there? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different for most organizations. Um, I think you'll find even in the week leading up to the draft frequently, they don't have their big board locked. Um, and that's not because they need to see more. It's because they haven't had a chance to get their whole team in the room. Um, so much of this is still done uh, sort of in the big room or on the big Zoom. Um, so much of this is like just, especially these days with scouting departments sort of being uh, more threadbare than ever, really. They're trying to get more miles out of fewer guys. And so they're always just kind of on the road and they're always kind of just checking out. So uh, I think the, the boards sort of get soft locked. They, they'll sort of, they'll, they'll take shape like mid in the middle of the season, but really as the draft gets closer and that's when you start having conversations with agents and you start to start to get people's, you know, guys numbers, what they'll sign for. Uh, you start to get those, that spin data, you start to get the cross checkers out to see what the regional scouts were, were pointing out and you get, you just get more eyes on them. Um, so just as you get closer to the draft, most teams boards will solidify, but it really can. I've even heard stories about just hours before the draft, like the conversation is still going on and they just don't know, even with the pirates, for instance, this year, the conversation was if they can get Meyer on a deal, then, then they'll take Meyer. And this is number one overall, but if they can't get a a favorable deal, then they were going to go with Davis. And so you'll start to see teams sort of react to what other teams are doing. Um, you'll start to see more vocal uh, uh, area scouts sort of just get, engage themselves more in the conversation. Um, so it, it is, there's quite a bit of fluidity in the weeks leading up to it usually. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I have a lot of buddies that have gone through the, the process all the way through and, you know, they're in the show or still on the grind of it all. And the, it's, it's the first, um, interaction for a lot of these kids that realize like hey this is a business now it's not the sport you played uh growing up and it yeah. it really becomes as crazy as it is to say is individual individualistic that's the word i was looking for uh because you've been playing if you're playing prep ball high school ball obviously you're playing for you know your guys that you grew up with your entire life or if you're in college you know you've gone through the two days you've gone through the grind you've done all the crappy you know, study hours and the late nights at the fields and all that. And now that you're getting drafted, it's a business and you see it with, from the signing bonuses and the jockeying and, and the penny pitching there. Like um, it's definitely eye opening for sure. And I, I don't think everyone that follows the sport, uh, whether it be on the college level or just the pro level, they don't realize like this becomes a business as soon as they call your name. Yeah. I'm fond of saying, um, the minute you decide to go pro, you really become the owner of a small business. And so much of that final year, whether that's a senior year of high school or whether that's uh, your junior year of college or your senior year of college or sophomore year for some of the draft eligible sophomores, it's really about sort of building your, if you will, your board of directors. So your advisors, your, your agent, your team, the team that's going to support you and kind of get you across the hump. And that's part of it too, is, you know, if you trust the wrong person or you sign with the wrong person whose philosophy doesn't quite mesh with yours, which is really common, by the way, um, that can be, that can really impact a lot. If there's an organization that doesn't like working with your agent, for instance, like they may, they may pull you down their board like that. It's, it's not going to usually, usually talent is the number one motivator, but money does come into it 
personalities do come into it character issues uh you know who does who does this player surround himself with those sorts of things are heavily in the equation too so it is it is interesting because i think we like to think of sports and baseball in particular as a meritocracy we like to think the best pitcher on the team is going to be the friday night starter and and the the hitter on the team is is going to be either batting lead off or third or whatever you know the best shortstop on the team is going to be the starting shortstop and it just doesn't always work like that i think we've all been on sort of the wrong end of those decisions where you were better than the guy starting ahead of you and that's something that i think you know we think disappears over time and it really doesn't you know even when you get into the pro ranks when you get into the the big leagues it's not necessarily the best player in the system right it's are, is there a 40-man roster spot available for you are you rule five eligible for there to be a 40-man spot roster like those sorts of things start to invade and i think again we want to think of it as a meritocracy because on the field so much of it is right uh but sort of behind the scenes a lot of it is really just uh outside of the player's control or which is really frustrating and so when you look at especially like a draft I think is really opens it up where it's just like, is Henry Davis the best player in the draft? I don't even think the Pittsburgh pirates would tell you yes, to be honest with you, but he checked more of their boxes. He made more sense for them as an organization. And so that's, those are the kinds of things that help sort of jockey for position and sort of, sort of uh, roll out where people go to. And Anthony on your, in your Twitter bio, says that you were the president of the Scott Boris fan club. Um, were there any, Absolutely. were there any first rounders that were coming out of high school that had hired Boris already or was there not you, a whole lot of tough negotiations? I don't actually pay much attention to who the advisors and agents are for college kids. Maybe I are for the draft kids. I, maybe I should, but I don't, it's a pretty safe bet that almost anyone coming out of Southern California is probably one of his clients though. It's, He's, he's really invaded this area. Um, so, yeah, but I don't actually know. Okay, do your homework question. for next year when we have this same exact <laughs> pod, and then we'll, we'll, we revisit that question. But you got it. another question is, we're going to move away from the first round, from rounds two through five. Who's your steal of the draft? Who's your favorite pick from any team, any player, any school? Doesn't matter. Who's your favorite yeah. pick from rounds two through five? So one guy I really like, and this is where we kind of talked about, where we start to talk about Davis at 1-1 making sense, is then Bubba Chandler in round three to the Pirates, I think is a real steal. Um, I, I like this kid a lot. I think, you know, he's, uh, he's out of a high school in Georgia, right-handed pitcher. Um, I just really like the makeup. I really like the stuff. I don't know if he's my steal, but he's the first guy I think of when you ask that question. Um, and there are a few guys sort of down, down the road, like Ian Moeller, catcher out of Iowa, um, <clears throat> prep catchers. There's a big learning curve. There's a big bust rate to them. So I hate to say that he's the steal of the draft, but I think he's a really good kid. I think he's gonna, he's got a, he's got the potential to do really, really well. Um, I think Nick Nostrini, the UCLA starter who went to the Dodgers in the fourth round is a really good pick. Um, there are a couple of guys that sort of jump out at me. I actually really liked, despite not having, uh, any picks in uh, rounds one or two? I actually really like the 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 guys that the Astros got on day two. I think uh, Tyler Whitaker, who just signed today, and then Alex Aloa is I think a real underrated talent too. And then just to go down a little farther, I know you know I think Quincy Hamilton was one of the best hitters in, in the college ranks this year. 
Um, and I think again, now this is the sixth round, but Spencer Aragetti, I think is a really, is a really solid pitcher too. So I think they have a, a chance to extract a lot of value in the later rounds, despite not having those first two picks, but those are the guys that sort of jump out at me. Yeah. Personally, I think the steal of the draft was pick number 14 with the, the San Francisco giants and Will Bednar. It just, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Tanner Allen. Was I did round. too. I really that, thought was actually, so, that was actually a steal. I, I will say that Tanner Allen if he stays in the Marlins organization is absolutely going to love it because every time he's on his Instagram and he's not at the ballpark, he's deep sea fishing constantly. <laughs> he's going to love Miami and he's going to be the happiest guy ever. He gets to play baseball and go deep sea fishing all the time. If he, if he stays with the Marlins and makes it up to the major leagues, I, I think he's going to be good. I don't know if he's going to be like the absolute stud that we saw at Mississippi state, but I, I love Tanner Allen. He, he brought a championship to my school, so I'm I all for it. The two guys that stood out for me on day two uh, is Jane Hill. I, yeah. I I love his talent. I didn't like him going to Colorado because it's just I, – I was surprised he signed. He signed today, I, which really surprised me. I was very surprised about that too. I, I just didn't – I just hate seeing pitchers go to the Rockies just because if you make it to the show, it's just a, the ball yeah. flies there. Um, and, I mean, he what? Jane Hill is a top top ten overall pick potentially without that – without Tommy, right? Like he had the talent to, to be a, yeah. I mean, I think he was sort of a disappointment at LSU this year anyway, sort of even before that, but I think there's all the talent in the world. I mean, we're talking about a guy that again, maybe on, maybe wrongly so, but he was in that conversation coming into the year for, for a top five pick. I think there's a whole lot of talent in that arm. He's pretty young for the class. I think, yeah, I think that has a chance to, to really be a steal. I think yeah. Ty Madden has a chance to really be a steal at 32. Yeah, I think so too. I really like that Spencer Schwallenbach guy that went to um, – did he sign? Yeah. Did he sign with the Braves? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if he signed yet, but that guy's got – his fastball runs up to 99. He got plus-plus changeup and plus slider. Yeah, he um, did sign, by the way. Okay. And then I got to I'm, – I'm biased on this one, but uh, in the ninth round, my guy Jack Rogers from Sam Houston, uh, I coached him. So when I was, okay. I was playing college ball – I'd come back in the summers and just coach the prep, the high school, the high school prep summer team. And he was a freshman. I was a freshman in college. He was a freshman in high school. And uh, I coached the kid. And obviously I thought he was going to be a better pitcher than hitter. And then he just figured it out with the stick and they just had a great college career. Um, know the family quite well. And he went in the ninth round to, to Cincinnati and my guy Tyler Naquin starting in center field for the Reds. So, Two little two guys that I, I one guy I played with, one guy I coached from high school, um, at the, in the same organization. Always, always cool to see. So that's my uh, that's the organization I grew up watching. So, so they're in, uh, we'll say they're in good hands. I have sure. An, and if you're a hitter in that park, you gotta love it. If yeah. you're on the show, I've got an unbiased steal of the draft here in yeah. the second round, pick number 58. The Indians took Doug McKay out of Ole Miss. Yeah, I think he's that's an absolute psychopath and. <laughs> He gets to go hang out with Shane Bieber and stuff in the off seasons and spring training and stuff. I feel like that's a pretty good pick because he's got the stuff. He's a psychopath. He's he's got it. Based on what I saw at Ole Miss, I don't know if that's going to translate to the major leagues, but he's on the right path and he's in a great organization that clearly knows how what they're doing with pitchers. So, thought Nick Casey in the second round was a good pick. His name is Booger, by the way. So <laughs> I, I had to add that, and I said a lot of nice things. It was uh, not really a year of, of the JUCO kids as well. That was kind of interesting to me. Obviously, with the shifting of the portal and you go to school, it's you can go in and out. Um, what, what was going on there, Anthony? Well, I think 
my sort of philosophy on that is I just think um, with the short draft last year um, and the short draft this year, by the way, you know, we're still, we're still, we've, we're still down rounds. Uh, I think that there was just, we saw a lot of fifth year seniors go. I think that sort of took the place of a lot of the the kids who would have been, you know, sort of Juco picks. Um, I don't, to be honest with you, I'm a big fan of taking Juco kids. I think that it's a really, uh, or for years has been a sort of underutilized uh, place to get them. And this year I was really surprised to see because I thought, you know, teams were finally starting to figure it out. But uh, I was pretty surprised with the the complete dearth of JC guys. It was, uh, I mean, God, I'm thinking of like Juan Gonzalez out of Miami Dade. It's even hard to like think of guys who went. Um, I mean, there's certainly like Hunter Parks and you know Ricky Ricky Teeden and those guys. But it's it was a pretty small class this year, uh, which did surprise me. And I think that's my philosophy though, is because I think a lot of the JC kids are kids who were either scouted heavily out of college or out of high school and just opted to go, you know, to go to Juco for, for a year or two, or, you know, for whatever reason, those, those opportunities didn't really exist in 2020. And so I think that affected the class coming into this year. Yeah. And uh, we touched on it on me and you had a Twitter interaction about, and this is just more just for the listeners that are Astro fans. Um, with the, with the sanctions that were, were put on the Astros last year and this year, uh, we kind of talked about if it, if it happened, it kind of happened at the right time, right? Because you had the COVID short year, and then this year you just had a, a ton of talent everywhere because you just had all these COVID rules for the college where kids were coming back for extra years and super, super senior years and yeah. eligible sophomore and all the, just the hysteria of it. And there's just talent available even to sign as undrafted kids. So – um, you want to walk the, the listener through that, that happened to be an Astro fan? Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, if you're going to get punished and uh, you're going to have, um, if you're going to lose two picks at the top of a draft, I think there are two things that can sort of benefit you. Uh, and the number one thing being a very deep draft, um, which happened because there was only, there were only five rounds in the draft last year and a very short draft, uh, because then the majority of the pool is available as, as non-drafted free agents. And so the Astros sort of lucked out timing-wise by getting both of those things. Uh, not that COVID you know, was great, but it certainly did benefit them as far as the timing goes because they could get a lot of players um, as non-drafted free agents that maybe, and that's what we're seeing a lot of the JUCO guys go, by the way, is, is I think a lot of them didn't get drafted because teams knew that they could just kind of throw some money at them after the season um and 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 that's been sort of playing out so you had a lot of guys who returned to college last year because they you know gambled on themselves they just came back either as seniors or as fifth years and so we had a deeper draft this year and we had a short draft both years so yeah I think it was just sort of a perfect storm if you're going to to lose draft picks those are those are the two sort of things that are going going to be in your favor yeah for sure I I think um it was you never want it to happen, but if it did, we kind of got lucky there. Uh, Stoney, yeah. go ahead. Hey, as long as we have pick 30 next year, it doesn't really matter, right? That is true. That's right. That's right. That's true. All right, so we're going to take a little break right here. We talked about the draft and upcoming. We're going to talk about all the recruiting classes and all those players that either withdrew from the draft or didn't get drafted and are heading to big-time schools like Arkansas and UCLA. We got some big, big 
big classes coming in next year, and we're going to have some more crazy college baseball. That is coming up right after this. And welcome back to the Road to Omaha podcast. We're in the offseason, boys and girls, so we're talking recruiting here. So if you haven't already, follow at Road to Omaha pod on Twitter. You can follow Apollo at Apollo H-O-U, and you can follow Ephistosser, Anthony, at Ephistosser. Anthony, please inform me and Des, the the Anderthals of college baseball, about the, like, recruiting in college baseball and how you actually find out information about it, because... Genuinely, I can't find any information about it, nor do I really look that hard. It's more of just a Google search. I'm like, oh, that kid's from, sure, he's from Atlanta. Sounds great. Um, pl- please yeah. inform us because I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah, just so I'm very clear, um, it's, it's okay that you don't because it's, it's weird what I do. It's weird that I follow like high school sophomore. I follow like 14 under tournaments. Like it's, it's, it's a strange <laughs> thing for a grown man to get into let's just be real clear about that I go to high school games um like if I'm in a city I don't know I will just go to a high school game or a minor like I that's just kind of my release um so yeah so it's okay as far as like like the big sort of uh the the places to get sort of information on these guys number one is perfect game um it's it's a a nationwide really a worldwide organization they host uh, showcases and and tournaments and all kinds of things to sh- sort of uh, show off high school kids and younger. Um, once they kind of hit college, they still they still do it like a cursory sort of check in every couple of years, but it's not really very deep. But for high school kids, that's probably the number one database. The problem, of course, is like any for profit organization, you're only getting the information you know from the kids that are let's be honest paying for the showcases. So you know you want to. What's great about it is they have a really wide uh, library of tape. So take their scouting reports with a grain of salt, but if you watch the tape, then you can kind of sort of start to build your own conclusions. Uh, the other really deep resource is Baseball America. Um, they've been doing it for years and years and years and years. Carlos Colazzo is just probably the smartest person on the earth. And even he would tell you Ben Badler is smarter than him. So um, their staff, their guys working for, for BA are just, I think, I think they're first tier and there is no second. Like they're just that far ahead of everyone. So those are the big resources. Certainly there's a website called Prospects Live that does really, really great work, um, really deep research. A lot of really smart guys work over there. Um, there are a handful of, this is where you start to get in a very strange territory where there are just all these like small, small blogs and websites. I mean, mine is one of them. I write with a guy named uh, Spencer Morris. Uh, we really get into the stuff and we just sort of like write up our thoughts. We'll watch video and we'll sort of put our, but that's where you can kind of start to build um, a, a deeper knowledge is just reading sort of what everyone thinks and, and, and starting to look at like, okay, well maybe I saw someone, you know, at a high school field that hasn't hit in a PG tournament and I'm going to write them up. And, and there's another, uh, there's prep baseball report. There are a few smaller organizations that kind of do the same thing. And so, uh, as you piece those things together, then you kind of start to get a sense of like who everybody is. And then the number one thing that kind of shapes everything is once you start to look at the college commits, because that's when 
those are the kids that are the best in the in the country the college coaches are going to find them because they're high school coaches they're travel ball coaches those sorts of people are picking up the phone and having those conversations and getting eyeballs on them so the really heavily uh recruited and scouted kids are usually sort of the cream of the crop it's it's pretty rare especially these days for anyone to go in the top five that isn't sort of in that conversation with like the travel ball um and 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 the showcases and all of that stuff and, and aren't recruited to probably a d1 school yeah, yeah. It, it was your blog is diamond dreams right at d dreams blog correct yeah okay yeah. we'll make sure we'll tag that at the at the end of the tweet as well cool. to uh to plug that I, I my question before we jump into recruiting classes is the shift of of select ball and travel ball i grew up in that shift uh i remember when all these organizations that are now you know throughout the country for just small one, two teams. And now, you know, they're 30 teams deep. And um, it almost seems like every regional school has a, has a team that kind of sends kids to said school. Uh, there's a little, little shake of hands underneath the table and there's yeah. a little funnel. And I, I, I think when everyone's listening and you think college recruiting, it's not like football. It's not like, um you're you're going to great obviously the the blue bloods will do that they'll go across the country but a lot of these teams just have a a funnel of a travel team and the shift of that in the last five years is has probably grown immensely have you seen that what what's been like that view for for yourself is it is it easier for you because now there's one organ you're like okay this this team kind of you know sends kids to the pack this team kind of sends kids to the sec is it easier for you or what kind of what kind of happened there with the shift of all these travel teams you know blowing up yeah, there definitely is some of that where, where you can kind of see which organizations send kids to which schools or to which conferences. Um, I will say, you know, like everyone else, my time is finite. I think of all the things I sort of pay attention to, I pay maybe less attention to the travel ball teams, the select teams. And the number one thing for me is I think, I think of myself as sort of like a baseball hipster. I, I like to think I'm going to be the first person in on somebody. Um, and so like those kids, those are the big money kids. Those are the kids with pockets who can afford to do these things. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know, like philosophically I'm against that, even though I know that like, I'm still going to be following like the, the, the showcases, the thing, those kids are still paying, but like, I, it's hard for me to get into like a Marucci elite or, you know, a, a Cobb 17 U Astros team, like those sorts of like travel ball, select ball teams. Like it's, it's hard for me to really get deep into those, which I think is all, a little sometimes to my benefit where it's like, I'm not necessarily influenced by that because that's the other thing is, is there is a lot of money at play there For uh, sure. on both sides. Like the kids playing in those are usually going to have some pockets and then the coaches on the other side are paying good money to have sort of those allegiances. So I think, you know, it's, it's definitely something I pay attention to and you can look at, you know, when you look on someone's perfect game uh, profile, I think right at the top, it has their travel ball teams. Like it's like, it's, it's very, um, it's very prominent, but it's something I actually try to pay as little attention to as possible. I'd rather look at like the video. Cause again, my, my end game is, is how are they going to be as, as prospects? So to me, it's a little bit more important to try to get a look at the tools as much as possible rather than necessarily the pedigree. Yeah. So Des's knowledge of recruits coming into college around the Texas area is probably a lot larger than mine. I literally, out of the last, I guess, four years, three years when I've been in Mississippi State or as an alum, I've known of two recruits to come in, and that's because they went to the same high school as I did, and I, I knew one of them, and I knew friends of the other. That's essentially all that I knew. 
I had no idea that's who's coming into Mississippi State. So please inform us of the best recruiting classes that are actually going to make it to campus. So as we've talked about previously in the podcast, you've got high schoolers that are coming out of high school. They're going to the show or they're going to the minor league system. They're going to sign for a lot of money. They're not going to make it to campus. We've been talking offline about a couple of these teams. And Anthony, take, take us through those teams that really lucked out in the draft where kids either withdrew from the draft or they decided just to not take the $500,000, $800,000 that they were going to get in the third or fourth round and decided to actually come to school and participate in either SEC, Pac-12, Big, Big 12, all of those giant schools that have money as well. Explain, tell us who those classes are. Yeah, so I think the, the number one school that jumps out is UCLA. Um, they had a really strong class to begin with. I think they had nine of the top 200 recruits in the country, something like that. Um, and there was an announcement right before the draft, either the day or a day, couple of days leading up to the draft, where basically all of their big commits, for the most part, pulled themselves from the draft, pulled themselves from draft consideration. So a shortstop, Cody Schreier, pulled himself. Outfielder Nick McLean, whose brother was just drafted by the Reds in the first round out of UCLA, who was another one who actually pulled himself out of the draft. So it's obviously very important to the McLean family to go to school. Uh, Thatcher Hurd, right-handed pitcher, he pulled himself from consideration. Um, And then Malachi Knight didn't sign, outfielder Malachi Knight. So he's going to make it to campus. Uh, Gage Jump was drafted by the Padres, but short of them. Gage Jump. Uh, Yeah, Gage Jump, left-handed pitcher. Fire name incredible yeah, it's name a great name okay um unfortunately he didn't gauge jump into the first round and so i think uh <laughs> I, I there think it is unless the padres come up with with boatloads of money uh in san diego harbor i'm not sure that they're going to be able to, to sign him so he's probably going to land on campus so really their only big loss was uh right-handed pitcher eric silva uh but they've got a really good class coming in. they've also got a, a pitcher named luke luke jewett uh, who was probably a top 25 talent before he got injured. His stuff looked really good sort of as he was uh, got back into action toward the end of the season. They've got a couple of guys I really like, a catcher named Jack Holman, a uh, pitcher named Alonzo Treadwell that I thought was, was really top talent. So I think UCLA has a really good class coming in. They're going to have a really young team this year. I think a lot of these guys are going to end up starting for them. So it's going to be a really interesting squad to watch. I think the other big sort of uh, – marquee names uh, as far as getting through the draft is Arkansas. Um, they lost three really big players in Max Muncy, uh, the other Max Muncy, we should call him. Uh, Max <laughs> Muncy, who got drafted by the A's, they lost Drew Gray and they lost Jordan Byers. But um, even with those three sort of high profile losses, they still have a heck of a class. Um, Peyton Stovall is going to college. He decided he opted not to sign. Uh, Brady Tigart, Drake Vernado is probably not going to sign. Braylon Bishop isn't signing. Hagen Smith. So they've got a lot of talent coming to campus in, at Arkansas. Um, they also just got a big transfer in uh, Jace Borofin from Oklahoma, who's having a great season on the Cape. Um, they have a kid named Max Salise, a catcher. I think he could really be an impact freshman this year uh, with Casey Opitz and Charlie Welch both off campus. I think he could step in and be the day one catcher. Uh, I think he's a really special talent. I think he could he could have a really good year. Um, the other sort of big classes, I think the other one you have to look at also is Duke. 
even though their class is not amazing, they had the number 66, I think, uh, uh, talent in the recruiting ranks, Alex Mooney. He got through the draft, so he's going to land on campus, which for Duke, even one of those guys is a big get. Um, and then TCU, they did lose their catcher. They lost Creed Willems, but uh, Cademan Parker pulled himself in the draft. Um, they've got some guys I really like, and Thomas DeLandry and Gray Thomas, and then a center fielder named Logan Maxwell that I think is really um, underrated. So those are like the big wins. Um, if you look at just pure straight recruiting classes, I think that Mississippi State does have a really good class this year, even though they lost guys in all the first three rounds. They lost Wood, they lost Bruns, they lost McCants, but Downs and Alford are really good players. I think that they've got a lot of talent coming to campus. Um, Florida has a really nice class coming in, uh, even though they did lose. Andrew Painter got drafted by the Phillies. Jay Allen got drafted by the Reds. Uh, but they've got Renee Lastris coming in. They've got a left-handed pitcher named Jake Caglianone. Here's Coppola. Vanderbilt's got a good class coming in, even though they didn't get uh, Jordan Lawler, didn't come. He got signed by, he got drafted by the Diamondbacks. I don't think he's officially signed, but he's going to. Um, Joshua Baez got drafted, but they've still got Rob Gordon and James Payton Smith. They got some, and they're just throwing names at this point. So I don't want to get too deep into that, but those are the schools I really like. I think sort of the losers of the draft, if you will, as far as like, talent who's now not going to make it onto campus. Um, LSU had a really strange, uh, I mean, just, you know, having a new head coach, they've already had some attrition. They were already going to probably lose some guys, but they lost uh, Ben Kuderna got drafted, Carter Jensen, Ian Moeller, who I talked about just a minute ago is one of my favorite sort of uh, uh, day two guys, Brock Selvage. They're still getting Luke Leto, uh, who's a, a prep shortstop right-handed pitcher out of, uh, out of the state of Michigan. A lot of people don't know if he's going to stick at shortstop. I think he does. I think he's a, he was, he was a first, he was in the first round conversation ended up going undrafted, but I think he's a really special talent. I think there's something there. They're certainly going to be helped by, you know, listen, LSU has got a lot of power and we'll, we can talk about that in a minute. They're, they're going to have, I mean, they're the top four at LSU are just pretty, pretty spectacular. Um, when you're talking about, you know, Trey Morgan, now they've got Jacob Berry just transferred in and they've got uh, Dylan Cruz and Kate Dowdy. Like though, that's just, top four hitters for a team is just pretty pretty disgusting so um so they'll be helped but i think you know they did get hurt by the draft for sure north carolina got hurt pretty bad by the draft um anthony solometto who we talked about was not going to make it to campus and he was really at unc they really were they they put a lot of stress on the young arms this year and i think they were really counting on solometto to come in and and pick up some innings and really help these guys out he's not going to make it to campus uh, James Triantos isn't going to make it to campus. Vance Honeycutt isn't going to make it to campus. Um, the good news at North Carolina is they're only losing one starter. Uh, Justice Thompson is the only the only the only member of the lineup who's going to be out. But they're going to have a lot of innings that need to get filled. I don't know who's going to throw those innings. Um, and then Arizona State, which makes sense because a coaching a coaching shift, um, but they lost four really good quality pitchers in Eric Tolman, Justin Paul, Cooper Benson, and Tyler Thornton. And I think that that could, that could really impact them this year. We talked about the PAC 12 sort of being wide open uh, for the taking. I think Arizona state's probably not going to be super competitive this year. And especially when you look at, you know, UCLA having such a strong class, it's going to be interesting to see over, over the next few years, how Arizona state sort of fills those spots. Cause it's, I think it's going to be a rough year uh, for, for the Sun Devils. Yeah. For I think our... the, the big thing is you have to, in this day and age, if you're blue blood 
and you're gonna obviously have those get those get those signatures from those kids that are probably get drafted and, and make a ton of money right so you also have yeah. to start shifting around where your scholarships are going to go and um I, as a texas fan i saw it all inside with augie like he had the number one class every year but you know he only got four or five kids so to campus to the yeah they all go to the show and and yeah it's great to see them on paper so with the emergence of the portal and the emergence of the you know slot money coming in you're, you're seeing teams and also with the the whole extra covid year you're just seeing this kind of perfect storm of all these teams having dudes and yeah i'm not just saying you know the who's who in the top 25 we saw it throughout the road oma through regionals and supers that it was kind of up for the grabs like we saw nc state go into arkansas and and, and shock the world and you know make the hell run that they had and and so I think that college baseball is in this like perfect kind of spot because you have social media, you have all these kids with the bat flips, you have all these kids coming in that are just this dogs and all these teams have talent. And I, I'm really interested to hear your perspective of when you have an LSU and you have a, a, a coaching change, you have a, a legend retire, and now you have a new coach stepping in into this power vacuum. What comes to my mind is I'm thinking, look, the last time this happened was like Rice, like uh, someone sure. with that kind of pedigree, you know, re finally retiring. And Rice has gone down the drain since, you know, Wayne Graham. Obviously, the last few years of Wayne Graham were, were, weren't great, but it's very, it, it could change very quickly for a blue blood to fall back into the pack and become just another name. So, what what what's what's your vision on on the future of LSU and kind of just the the shift of that because you have so many things opening up these days? Yeah, it's hard to know for sure. Obviously, there's a lot of unknowns there. How are these how how are these players going to react to John, to Jay Johnson? Um, I think one thing that has been really encouraging, and it's sort of a maybe a strange thing, but just to see uh, you know a player of of the caliber of Barry follow Johnson to LSU, I think is a, mm -hmm. is a positive sign. I think to see, you know, sort of these Arizona commits decommitting, I hate to call that a good sign, but it kind of feels like, well, you know, like I think that people were really buying in. I think Johnson's going to recruit well. I think that he's going to do well. Um, it's, it's obviously a big question mark. I think, you know, playing in the SEC in particular is such an absolute different beast than, than anywhere else, anywhere else. Um, and the recruiting is so much tougher than it is anywhere else, especially, you know, at, at Arizona or Arizona state, or, you know, the PAC 12 recruiting is, is dominated by the California schools. And then everyone else is kind of playing for scraps. So I think it's going to be, it's going to really be important for Johnson to come out to come out hard on the recruiting trail. Like I mentioned, he has four great hitters, four great position players. He can build a short-term legacy on, and if he can like capitalize and get kids really interested in what they're doing there, even though if he, even if he's not the one who's doing it, um, I think that, that he can do well there. It's obviously, there's a lot going to be a lot of question marks. I think, you know, we're, we're not really sure how it's going to go. I think what's really interesting, the other one, the other interesting to watch is the flip side of the Johnson move, which is Chip Hale coming from the major leagues into Arizona. And I'm very interested to see how that sort of uh, pans out too because I think it's not a move you see very often and we saw it actually a couple of times this year we saw two or three uh, major league uh, coaches step down into the step down into the college ranks which I think is going to be a very interesting because we don't really know what to make of that just yet so 
Chappelle, obviously uh, an Arizona legend himself. I think he'll recruit well, but it's going to be interesting to see. And yeah, there's always a vacuum. The SEC, you know, they, they're not going to take, they're not going to take it easy on you for a couple of years. It's easy to sort of fall off there. So I think it'll see, I think, I think we'll see it. And I think it'll be, it'll be, we'll know within this first year or two, I think what it's going to look like is sort of how he recruits coming out of this. Yeah. Especially with NIL coming into play, obviously it's, the focus is on football and the, you know, the quarterbacks yeah. and running backs and, and all that, but these kids have an opportunity to start getting paid. Um, I, I'm excited to see that kind of shake out. I think the Friday night starters, you know, that may, uh, that may breed some more competition between your own staff. Cause you know, if you're the face of a face of a, a college and you're that Friday night guy, you may get some, uh, you might get some pennies thrown your way in the, in the new NIL world. Yeah. And I think to go back to like a situation at Vanderbilt where they essentially had two Friday night starters and you look at, you know, we were talking about Jack Leiter being, you know, going second overall and, and, and rocker going down to the Mets. Uh, I think, you know, it's interesting to look at like, cause I think, Mark Rocker is going to sell more bobbleheads than Jack Leiter. He's just a much more interesting guy. He's a much more interesting face. He's, he's more relatable in many ways. Um, so I think that that's going to, it's going to be an interesting sort of look at how, uh, how players make the decisions on where to go. Cause then if you're Jack Leiter and yeah, you can go and you can pitch with this guy, but are you going to make top dollar or can I go to rice? Can I go to middle Tennessee state, you know, down the road and have maybe not quite as much, uh, not as many eyeballs on me necessarily, but I'm going to get a bigger piece of the pie. I think it can be an interesting thing. I think the NIL, I mean, if we're being completely honest, I don't think it's going to influence college baseball yeah. that much. It's just not a big money sport in that way. Um, but you know, it is an interesting sort of piece of the puzzle and it will be, I think it'll be, it'll be fun to sort of see how that influences recruits because whether or not realistically it pays off for college baseball players. I think if you're a senior coming out of high school, you have to, by virtue of being, by being vir virtue of being a top hundred guy, top 200 guy, you think you're that guy. You think you're the guy who is going to make money on the NIL, right? Like you think that that, like, that's just kind of the mentality that comes with that. So I think it will influence kids, whether or not it actually ends up paying dividends. So I think it'll be, it'll, it will be interesting to see how that pans out for sure. There's a, a report today that Bryce Love, I believe, is the name of the Alabama quarterback. Nick Saban came Bryce out Young. at, um, yeah, Bryce Young. And Nick Saban said today at SEC Media Days that he's approaching seven figures in NIL dollars already. And he, he hasn't really played a meaningful snap for Alabama. He's only been there for a year. He didn't really play last year except for a couple of blowout fourth quarters. College baseball is not going to make there's not going to be a single player that makes a million dollars this year. Right. In the first year of the NIL guaranteed. But if he makes a hundred thousand dollars, he makes $250,000 that, that changes things for those kids that may or may not have money growing up that didn't get to play travel ball that only got to play high school ball. Like this is very meaningful to them. And it also gives them incentive to come to school if they're not going to get taken in the first or second round, essentially all these high schoolers that got taken in the first two rounds, they might come to school now if they think they can make, 250k a year for three years and then go to the major leagues and get drafted in the first round and make millions it's yeah. it's, it's a weird dynamic that we're about to have and i'm not sure how much it'll affect college baseball i hope it affects it a little bit so we can see more players come play for all these big schools because it's more fun when all the really good players come i'm a big go to school advocate anyway i think unless you're getting that first second round money 
uh, or like you're a, a late round, you know, uh, a high slot guy. I, I think kids should be going to school. I think the, way, the, the number of years that it takes to actually make real money at the, you know, through, if you go to the traditional sort of minor league route, you can usually spend that money developing or spend that time developing at college and end up better as a result anyway. Plus then you have at least most of, if not all of a college degree. Um, you can have that college baseball experience, which is a hell of a lot better than playing in Florida State League. And I know they're not called that anymore, but I'm, I'm a creature of habit. I'm just still called the, the old leagues by their, the leagues by their own name. But like, it's a hell of a lot more interesting than playing in front of 25 people a night, you know, especially now teams are starting to pay for housing, but like, it's still poverty level in the minor leagues. Like, let's be realistic about yeah. it. It's really difficult. And I think, you know, the 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 dream like you, you're absolutely right if you even if you can make thirty thousand dollars in it like that's significant money for a college kid if i had made thirty thousand dollars in college that would have been a big big deal for me so i did johnny football like money <laughs> money hands yeah yeah <laughs> I, was a, I mean geez absolutely and and you know I, I was a scholarship athlete in in college and like i that would have been life-changing money for me for sure. so yeah i think you're absolutely right i think that that all of these sort of enticements to get kids to to campus are really i think ultimately beneficial for the game but i think also ultimately beneficial for the players um which is much more interesting to me and i think you know just i don't know i i, I get the appeal again when i talk about you know if you're a top 100 guy you think you're that guy and i get wanting to go to the minors to play against the best um but i think also if you know that more people are then coming to college it sort of begets more and more and so uh, i think that it's going to be it's going to be I think it could be, I don't know if it's like a significant like game changer, like in the sense that like, it's really going to shift the paradigm, but I do think that it's going to attract a lot more talent that would otherwise go into the minors. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's, it's an opportunity to also like money management. I, you hear all these horror stories of kids blowing their signing bonus within a month and a half, two months, you know, yeah. the new truck, the, the boat, whatever it is. And then, like you said, it's a, it's a, it's a travesty what their wages are in the, in the minors. And yeah, that signing bonus looks great. You know, that first month, but you gotta, you gotta learn to live with, cause you may not be in the show. I mean, yeah. you may blow an arm, you may catch a, a fastball in the ribs, you may break a rib. Like baseball is a weird sport when it comes to that is you're not guaranteed big league paychecks. So um, I think that'll be a cool different angle as well. And, you know, obviously these athletes will hopefully be set up to have success on that. But uh my question as we're, as we're running out of time is if you had three, this goes to both of you guys. If you had three visits, you're, we're, we're going back in time. We're in the hot tub time machine. <laughs> you have three visits as a, as a top prospect. Where are you going? Um, Anthony, please lead this off before I say okay. anything bad. Let me going. think on my words. Let me think on my words. I'm going to be unbiased. I'm going to be I've unbiased. got three visits. Yeah, three visits. Three I'm, official I'm a, visits. I'm, I'm, I'm a hot blue chip third baseman out of an Ohio high school, which is true <laughs> of me if you count blue chip as one star recruit. Um, <laughs> I'm going to UCLA, first of all. Okay. I'm going to spend some time in Westwood. I'm going to, I'm going to hang out with the girls. I'm going to run around campus. I'm going to be a rock star in, in Westwood. That's number one. I'm also going to Miami. I'm doing a visit to Miami, For not sure. because of the program, same exact reason. Like, let's be honest about this. I'm 17 years old. You're 17 years old. Yeah. I listen, you know, we, we all know what's happening here. And then I think my third visit 
would be to the, what I consider, because the, the first two have been like personal visits, right? I want to feel like, like, I'm going to feel like a big shot. Now I want to go to the number one program that just year after year after year sets the gold standard um, for baseball programs in America. And that's the University of Michigan. Uh, go, go blue. Uh, I want to go there. I want to, I want to, I want to soak up all the knowledge that I can. Um, I want to attend classes with the best professors in the world. Um, I just, you know, but to me, that would be such a meaningful life-changing experience, whether or not I ended up playing there, whether or not I was good enough to end up playing at the University of Michigan. um, That would be my third visit. And second game at the big house as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We're, gonna, we're going during football season. Absolutely. Uh, Stoney, your three, you, your three uh, visits. So if I go completely unbiased, I have no history. My mom did not go to Mississippi State. I still live in Huntsville, Alabama. I'm probably not going to Mississippi State for a visit. I'm just going to flat out say it. I probably won't because I don't understand the history. I never heard anything about it. I don't get it. I'm not going to state for a visit scratch them off the list i'm going to lsu right off the bat lsu is my first visit i'm going to the box i heard about the box growing up the lsu fan base is just nuts enough to where i love it but i also completely hate it because i'm a mississippi state fan if i was not a mississippi state or an sec fan at all i would love lsu and lsu fans i would love it i hate them i can't help it but lsu is my first visit i think i'm going to texas as my next visit I also grew up watching Texas baseball. My dad's from the state of Texas. I heard about Texas football. I heard about everything Austin. I've heard all about it. I'd be curious. I played with them on MVP 2006 college baseball from by EA Sports on ever. my PlayStation 2. I, they had Texas on the cover. Texas was cool. The burnt orange is cool. I don't know. I go to Texas. I was going to say Miami as well, but you, you've you already taken that one off the list because that's a no-brainer. They have a historic baseball program. And it's in Miami. Why wouldn't you yeah. go there? I think I'm gonna go mm, Arizona State for the oh you just dog. for the, that was just for the first, weekend. That was my first pick. Just just for the weekend. I don't Party I don't really know if I care to go to school there or play baseball there, but maybe I do because Barry Bonds went there and it's also Arizona State. And how could you not, as a 17, 18 year old kid, not want to go to Arizona State for at least a weekend? There's there's just no it can't get better than that, right? Just for a weekend. I don't know about a life, like three years, yeah, yeah. but yeah. a weekend sounds great. Arizona State. Yeah, I would definitely have a problem staying with <laughs> yeah. Arizona State. Yeah, you would lose eligibility <laughs> at some point. <laughs> it'd be it'd be a national lampoon movie by the time I'm done. <laughs> yeah, logged one at bat though. Yeah. Oh man, it's, Arizona it's State was my too. first pick. Okay. Yeah. I guess I'll go different. I'll go different just to, for the conversation. I think I'll go see Uncle Uncle Phil, Uncle Phil Knight up in Oregon. Hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe collect a bag, one of those one of those bags that they give out up there. I don't know. This that's what I heard on the street. Get a shoe stuff. named after you. Yeah, get, a, see, get some Nike jersey. stuff. Sure, some you swag. Seventy five different jerseys. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think I'd go check out USC. Obviously, seventeen-year-old, the cheerleaders in the sweaters. You're, yep. you're so cow. Song girls. Yeah, it's. We talked about it offline. Right about, on. Yeah, I, I may, 
and then obviously Texas. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna end up as my uh, my third official visit in Austin, sucking that on. Probably hanging out with McConaughey. Probably like starring a movie. Not even play baseball. Just hang out with him for four years. So that's probably my three. But I, Arizona State was gonna be up there, and Miami were gonna be there. But you guys, you guys had some really solid picks. Arizona State is a green light. <laughs> the LSU one was interesting though. The LSU like at the box, yeah, like, fully packed out. That's an I really thought about both Texas and LSU. I, I put a lot of thought on them, so those were, those were good ones. We didn't even we look at us not even talk about Arkansas or Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. No, just, just strictly no. knowing what we would like at seventeen years old. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> look. Are you oh, going to want to go play okay. in a stadium that only holds 3,000 fans that never fills up oh, in yeah, a town sure. that hates college sports, hates sure. college sports. They, they like the predators and that's it. I mean, Nashville they have no other sports. Visit, yeah. Nashville's but, uh, a nice town. Oh, Broadway yeah. is incredible at, as a 18 sure. to 21 year old playing baseball in Nashville would be incredible. I want a fan base. I want to, I want to play for some crazy ass fans and I want to win a national championship while playing for those crazy ass fans. Vandy, you don't get that experience. I I know one person that's been to Vandy. You're biased. Hey, look, when you have the best fans in college baseball, you you just, you can't help it. It Win a national title. Are we back talking about the university of Michigan? Is that what we're. Yes. Wait, wait, they lost that one. Actually, it was Mississippi state with the 22,000 fans in Omaha. It was incredible. It was the best experience (laughs) I've ever had in my life. Oh, I can't help that, but LSU would be an incredible visit. Arizona State, Miami, Texas, all of the schools that we listed would be great visits for Our wild, adventurous seventeen-year-olds that were going to go play college baseball for one of the best programs in the country. I did go on a visit to TCU, and it was like I went to a basketball game, and this is like before Shoss got them rolling and went to the College World Series. And I went to a basketball game, and I thought I was the coolest kid on campus. It was so fun and addictive. I couldn't imagine, like, being an actual recruit to, like, be hosted, like, for a football game. That'd be so yeah. sick. Well, on my yeah. recruiting visit to a D3 school, I went to a D3 football game. Not a big deal. <laughs> um, it all counts the same. Go swim team. Swim fast. Woo. Um, Ephes Tosser, Anthony, do you have anything left for us? Do you have any other last words? What are you most ex- – who's – all right, I got one last question, and we'll wrap it up. Who's the number one pick next year from high school? Oh, Elijah Green. That's my guy. Sure. Sounds great. Mark it down. Yeah, I also like Termar Johnson, who we were kind of talking about a little bit offline. Um, but Elijah Green, I think, you know, it's so rare for someone who's, like, this far out to be – I feel like every year there's someone that we talk about as the first overall pick uh, a year or two out. And I always think like, yeah, we'll wait, wait and see, wait and see. But Elijah Green really looks like the real deal. He's an outfielder out of, uh, out of, he's a Miami commit, actually. He's an outfielder out of the state of Florida. Um, the kid is just, he ran a 6-2 at the Ooh. Junior National. He can throw 100 miles an hour across the diamond. Like the kid is just an impact defender. He hits, he squares balls up. Um, he's just, he's a physical specimen, plus arm, uh, good student tremendous student you hear, you hear from time to time he's just he's got power he's got a hit tool there's nothing not to like about this kid i think this kid is just dynamite well cool ephus tosser on twitter at ephus tosser you follow the road to omaha podcast at a road to omaha pod 
You can follow Apollo at Apollo H O U. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, hit the follow button. Leave us a review. Tell us how we're doing. Tell us how dumb me and Des are compared to Ephus Tosser here, who's an absolute encyclopedia of amateur baseball. It's incredible. If you haven't already, follow him on Twitter because you're not going to find anybody better. He's got all the information. He's going to give you all the tidbits. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. We've enjoyed this off-season podcast of The Road to Omaha. We'll be back in a few weeks. We'll be talking some more NIL. Maybe we'll talk a little uniform bracket. A little little best uniform bracket since uh, some website butchered it earlier in the baseball season. But it's fine. We'll fix it. It's going to be fine. This has been the Road to Omaha podcast presented by Apollo Media. Thank you for listening. Love you guys.